Welcome in to today's edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. Uh, Eric, it's officially summertime because our show has gone off the rails from a schedule standpoint. The hosts are you and me. Jared's not here. I will be gone next week. I was not here last week. Uh, we might have a podcast that comes out today, and we might have a podcast that comes out tomorrow. I don't know. We we okay, We haven't quite figured everything out yet in terms of the summer format, but hey, I'm excited that it's summer. Uh, the weather is warm. We're outside. We're doing fun things, and it's it's kind of the time to kind of like choose your own adventure, if you will, from a content perspective. This is the time of the year where we're really we're really digging deep, trying to figure out yes. some things. Which is why to start this week, I was like, "What can we talk about?" And I was like, "I'm just going to make a bunch of stat predictions." I wrote those up. Matt came back from vacation. We were just like, "Let's let's talk about these on the podcast." So that's what we're doing today. Um, Offense, defense, a little bit of everything. Just kind of who do we think is going to lead the team? These are my predictions. I think Matt's going to have some rebuttals to some of it if he disagrees. But I, 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 we got to the point here where we're kind of going like uh, there's recruiting stuff, which Matt's going to tackle later this week. But let's kind of have some fun and talk about what could happen in the fall. Um, all right, let's, let's dive into these predictions. We're going to start with the offense first. And – we should note uh, in your story on DuckTerritory.com, which, by the way, you can still get 50% off on an annual subscription right now to DuckTerritory.com. So if you sign up today, you get 50% off. You get coverage of the recruiting period in July, Saturday Night Live, Pac-12 Media Day. will all be there. Uh, fall camp, all of football season, all of the men's and women's basketball seasons, the recruiting for both those programs, signing days for both those programs. You get all of baseball as well. Jared did a really good job covering the Oregon baseball team this season, who uh, was one game away from Omaha. Uh, this is the perfect time to sign up for an annual membership because you would save huge chunks of money and you would guarantee yourself a membership that runs the entire length of all of those sports. Uh, that is tremendous. That's a huge deal. I highly encourage you guys to look into that, go to duckterritory.com for more 50% off an annual membership. But first, Eric, uh, you, you you pointed out there is no methodology to your <laughs> predictions here. Nope. So these are simply these are simply predictions. Uh, you did throw the caveat in that down the road we may throw in some math. So I I, I will you hold me to that. Put it in my mental notebook that we are going to revisit these predictions right before fall camp. Or right, right before the season starts. Right before the season starts. And we will throw math into the equation as well, plus all the information that we've had uh, from fall camp. I don't think a lot of this is going to change, though, when we throw in the math. The only thing that might change with some math is just that I, I actually made predictions. So here's what the, the, the exercise is. I made predictions for, like, passing stats, rushing stats, receiving stats, defense stats. Who's going to lead the team in this category? And then I actually tried, again, without – actual math to make a prediction on what that number could be to Matt's point. We'll come up with some real college level algebra, whatever it is. Math. <laughs> uh, you will not me. I'm not good at math. I'm not great either, but we can, I should be better. My dad's a CPA in town. He's probably embarrassed. Um, but so is my dad. <laughs> yeah. So our dad did our math for us. We didn't need to learn any. Um, yeah. We cheated. Who cares? Yeah, we che uh, but, but yeah, but maybe we'll do some, some, some figures that are a little more based on something more than just the top of my head. All right, passing yardage, uh, you've got Bo Nix last season throwing for 3,593. You see a slight uptick 
this season, which I'm fine with. This is this makes sense. Yeah, I, I so one thing I should note in the, the the so if you check out the story, I've got last year's as kind of the benchmark for what they're trying to reach, and then what I predict this year. And I'm also using optimism that Oregon will play 14 games this year, that they're going to play in the conference championship game um, and play in 14. So that would be one more than last year. So I actually have Bonex reaching 4,000 yards, 4,013. That number is significant. Only Marcus Mariota um, has done so in an Oregon uniform. Achilles Smith came pretty close about, gosh, 25, 26 years ago. It's crazy to think in those terms. Um, but yeah, Bo, Bo to get to 4,000 would be pretty exclusive company with Mariota. And I did the math here of, he had, as Matt said, about 3,600 yards last year. I guess I did do some math, but not the official math that we would do to really predict things. But basically how I got to 4,000, as I said, okay, in 13 games last year, he had about 3,600 yards. That's about 275 yards per game. Over the course of 14, what would it take to get him to 4,000? He would just need to average about 285 yards. So improvement of about 10 yards per game. That feels reasonable considering that we think there's been some upgrades to the players he's throwing to. Um, I know it's a new offensive coordinator, but Bo taking a step. I think the fact that we think the team can be pretty darn successful this year speaks to some of that. So I think 4,000 is manageable for Bo. Um, I'd be curious to see what those in the comments think about that prediction. But like, I think that is something that very much could be could, could be in the in, in the works this fall. I I agree with the assessment. 4,000 is in the works, uh, and so I'm not going to rebuttal it. But I guess the cap to provide some more. Um, confidence in it. I, I think Oregon's schedule will be tougher this season than it was last year, which should mean fewer games where Bo Nix gets pulled or fewer games where Oregon just relies significantly on the run game. Um, yeah. Most notably, they play USC this year. Uh, that's a team that's going to score a lot of points. I, I have I have confidence that Oregon can hang with them and and hold them defensively, but you also have to realize they have the Heisman Trophy winner. They've got a really good quarterback. They've got a really good offense. They've got a really good play caller. They're going to put up yardage, which means Oregon's going to have to match that or exceed that. Uh, so I, I I, think the schedule sets up where Oregon will have closer games in 2023 than in 2022, which should open the door for more playing time, more throwing opportunities for Bonick. So I agree there. I like that. I hadn't really considered that, but I think that's a good point, Matt. I think Oregon – the way the conference is set up, there are more challenging games this year than not last year. Obviously, had had some ups and downs at the end, but sure, there was that eight game run where and they were challenged a little bit by UCLA. The game, a couple of those games, maybe were a little closer for parts than you expected. But Oregon really started running teams over after that Georgia loss. And I look at this year's schedule and think, yeah, there are games where I expect they'll win by a lot. I think they can beat Cal and Stanford and Arizona State possibly by three to four touchdowns each. like, and, and those can be runaway games. But I also, to Matt's point, they play USC this year. That game is going to be probably a shootout, a game against Washington, Seattle, going to be a shootout. Oregon State, you might need a lot of points there. Utah, same thing. Colorado, I don't know what to expect there, but there's a possibility. Yeah, who knows what happens There's there. a possibility that that's a fun game too. So, like, I'm just – there's more to Matt's point. I think it's a good one. The schedule may provide for, for more games where you need more out of bow. All right, your next stat uh, goes with touchdowns. Um, I have absolutely no doubt Bo Nix will lead the team in touchdowns. Um, not to spoil the, the name, I guess it's the number. Uh, you, he had 29 touchdowns, and again, more passing yards leads to more possible for touchdowns. That's what you're predicting, more touchdowns this one too. 
Yeah, I have 34 passing touchdowns. Hit as Matt said, 29 last year. Slight up uptick. My reasoning's pretty simple. One extra game that should, if you know, if he pr- continues to produce at a similar level. Then I also think like you have to acknowledge like his two favorite guys to throw the ball to around the red zone are back. Troy Franklin, yeah. Terrence Ferguson. Those guys were it was a pretty dang good uh, chemistry that he had with those two. Um, I think that should just get better. And I think, as I said earlier, I think Oregon's gotten better at the skill position um, this offseason. I don't know if it's significantly better, but um, they should get the running backs are the same players, essentially. Not that that impacts this as much, but. You think about receiver, Troy Franklin, a year older, probably a year better. Chris Hudson's back. But Chris Hudson was your number two guy last year in a lot of cases. I know Chase Cotto was as well. Those were your two and three. There's a chance that that Chris Hudson's like your four or five receiver this year, just based upon the way things have gone in terms of player acquisition. And and, and I think that could be a, a positive, too. I think there's a lot of good you know, pass. More, I think there are more quality passing targets this year. I guess I don't know if they're significantly better across the board. I think there's better options. And and to me, that, that should be a benefit for him to get to 34. Mariota holds the school record of 42. Um, yeah. Nick's is in play. You, you say he doesn't have a real – it's going to be hard to get to 42. Um, yeah, it would. But second on the list is Dennis uh, – not Dennis Dixon. Uh, Darren Thomas, sorry. Um, with 33, thrown back in 2011. That – so you're projecting that Nick's will beat Thomas mm-hmm. and take over the number two spot. Yep. Is – is 42 only in play if they somehow were to make the college football playoff and win a first round game to get that lucrative 15th game? Is that the only, I kind of feel like that's the only way that they're going to get it in. And guess what? Mario needed 15 to get to that 42. Yes. Right. That was the only, yeah, that's the only year in school history. They played 15 games. It makes sense. He threw for more yards and threw for more touchdowns. They had an extra game. I think that's one of the things you have to consider here is team success has an impact in terms of stats for individuals. Um, and yeah, I'm in agreement, Matt. I think to get to 42, um, you need 15 games. And even that is, that's a, that's asking a lot. That's, that's a, a lot. That's, that's a ton of touchdowns per game, close to three um, to ask that over the course of a, of a full season. That's, that's not easy. So that's why I think it's probably improbable it happens, but I wouldn't totally shut things down there. And then if we're being honest here, if he throws for more than 4,000 yards and throws for 42 touchdowns or more, he's got a very good chance of winning, you know, the Heisman trophy, uh, which, which again, I, I think he'll be a candidate. I don't know if he'll, he'll win the award, but if that's just your baseline, like you go back and look at what Caleb Williams did um, a season ago at USC when he won the Heisman trophy, he threw for 4,500 yards and 42 touchdowns. So that's kind of online what we're talking about here, the best-case scenario for Knicks. What Williams did last year is very very comparable statistically to Marcus's passing season, at least. Obviously, the running numbers aren't there, but the passing stats are comparable, and for Bo to win the Heisman, he probably needs to get close to that. And again, I think that takes 15 games to get there. Rushing stats. Let's move on here. Um, there's a couple picks here. Yards per carry, rushing touchdowns, and rushing yards. Um, Bucky Irving was the leader in rushing yards with 1,058. Uh, he was also the leader in yards per carry at 6.8 last season. Um, you've got some predictions that are interesting. Mm-hmm. Fewer number, fewer yards per carry, different guy for touchdowns. Yep. Last year's leader was, was Bo Nix, of all people, at 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think people realize Bo had just a historically special season. You and I, it dawned on us. We were eating breakfast at that 
I don't know what place that was. It was very good in downtown mm-hmm. San Diego after the Holiday Bowl when we were just kind of like, holy crap. Statistically, Bo Nix had like unbelievable year. Um, you, you've got some interesting picks here. I, the rushing touchdowns, let's start here because this is the one that yeah. really surprised me. Your pick for rushing touchdowns is different. Yeah, by the way, Joel Clatt here. It's not Bucky. By the way, Joel Klatt seated nearby uh, for us so that, that that breakfast. I hope his did. child is okay. He fell really hard. Oh, that's right. I, I didn't. I'd forgotten until you said it. Yeah, I'm sure six months have gone by, and I think he's probably healed up. Uh, yeah, I went Jordan James as the touchdown prediction leader. Um, probably kind of controversial. My, my logic, I think, kind of stands up, though. My, th- my thought process is, as you said, last year, Bo Nix, 14 touchdowns. He led the team in touchdowns. And I went and kind of looked through the box scores. 10 of those came from within the 10-yard line. Or sorry, 12 came within the 10-yard line, and 10 came within the 5. So when the Ducks got close, it was Bo Nix time. And part of me wonders, if you think back to last year where he got hurt, it was another attempt um, running the football within the 10-yard line, right? That's where he got hurt on that play against Washington. Nothing about that play is probably that different than a lot of these other plays we're talking about where he scored. But because he got hurt there, Part of me wonders if there's going to be a little bit of hesitation. We saw it with Justin Herbert after he got hurt in his sophomore season against Cal, missed six games. The next coaching staff, Mario Cristobal, basically said, we're not running you ever again until his very last game at Oregon against Wisconsin. And there was a bit of a payoff. And then he ran a lot. Because he ran all over the place. And that was, honestly, that's why they won the football game is they they, they went to something that they hadn't done in several seasons. So I, I think there might be a bit of a reaction to the fact that Nick's got hurt last year. And if we're all being honest, if Nick's isn't healthy, this season goes way different than if it does, if he is. So um, I think you can look at those part of the field where Nick scored so much last year and you go, let's just say he's giving the ball to Jordan James more because Jordan was on the field with him for a high percentage. I don't have the splits here in terms of how many of those he was playing. I don't know if that's available on PFF. If I could look, I guess, but, but Jordan James is on the field there a lot and he scored five touchdowns last year. No, Whittington and, and uh, Bucky Irving also only scored five. So James was kind of grouped with them. I think he's going to be in that goal line role. That's what my prediction is based on is he's in that goal line role and Bo gives him the ball a little bit more frequently. So I predicted Jordan James leads the team with nine t- touchdowns rushing. It's a little down from last year's team lead. But I also think like Bo's probably going to score five to six to eight. Maybe he scores. Maybe he doesn't, um, isn't told to, to not carry any spots. And he ends up with 16 or 18. He breaks Marcus Mariota's school record, which was, 15 rushing touchdowns last year for a quarterback. But I also think it likely that that he doesn't care it as much and, and you see a situation where the running backs and Bo kind of all split these touchdowns. So that's where I go with Jordan James with nine. My only rebuttal to this is maybe there's some back and forth behind the scenes discussions here with Bucky and Noah of, hey, you guys could have gone pro last year. Or maybe, you know, they could not have gone pro. Uh, I, I have that mixed yeah. up with, with COVID. But right. nonetheless, hey, you guys both are back next season. And to really kind of entice everybody here, we're going to give, we're going to get maybe even so more so for Bucky to help his profile. Or maybe it's Noah because he's the backup, air quotes. Um, goal line, we're going to give you a little bit more opportunities. To, to score some touchdowns, pad your stats, get you ready for the NFL. Because, look, I, I think both guys are gone after this coming season. I think they're both off to the NFL. Maybe Noah stays if he gets enticed kind of a la Kenan Barner um, yeah, 2012 right. um, to, to come back. 
for a, a one-year showcase where he's the guy, clear cut. Um, but I think Bucky's gone after this season for sure. Maybe I kind of think Noah's probably right behind him. That would be my only caveat to, to Jordan James, which I like. It's Cyrus Abi Lakio 2.0, you know, touchdown vulture, uh, a guy that's got a role and is really good at it. Um, and maybe maybe they also expand Jordan James's his role in 2023. And instead of just making him a goal line situation back, maybe it's just kind of the, the, the deal where it's okay, like all three of you guys, if you get down to the goal line and it's your turn to be in the rotation, you're going to get the opportunity. Um, I will, I will say this with this one, I think it's going to be pretty even sp- spread out quite a bit. I, I don't think there's going to be one guy that has astronomically higher numbers than anybody else on the roster. I think they're all going to be within one to four touchdowns of each other. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the spray chart's pretty even. I actually, one other thing just to add before we move on, I think it was interesting. Somebody said, what if Dante Dowdell beats out Jordan James as the goal line back? Could he be the guy here? Yeah, that's Could be. a good point. Could be. I don't know. I mean, I, I think to Matt's point, I would love to see Bucky run the ball a little bit more around the goal line. He's certainly physically capable of it. I know they're trying to be careful with his, his rep count, but he has proven to be so darn dynamic. And if he gives you the best chance to score touchdowns around the end zone, I Take think it. you want to get him the football. But I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they this running back rotation operates. And again, if there is a, 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 a um, I guess, a player that only really carries it when they get close, like Jordan was a year ago, that would be my pick just because I think they are going to move away from Bo. But again, I mean, you could convince me Bo is going to score a, a million touchdowns next year and that they aren't changing anything. And that's just, just I mean, I don't think it's quite as probable because I, I want a different angle, but that's also definitely an outcome I could, I could foresee. All right. Rushing yards, Bucky Irving last year, 1,058. You've got a slight increase, which I'm assuming is very similar to just the Bo, Bo Nick stat. One more opportunity, a little bit better player, more car- a little fewer, more carries, which leads yep. you to a, an increase. Yeah, I, I, I kind of I factored this in. I've got Bucky at 1,291. I really wanted to go more. Like Part of me would like to predict 1,500 yards. I think he's that gifted. But I also went back last year, and I don't know how if people were familiar with how, how um, evenly split the running back carries were between Bucky and Noah. I mean, it was almost 50-50. Uh, Irving averaged 12 per game. Whittington averaged 10.7. So they were pretty identical in terms of their, their touch count. And so I don't know if there's going to be a major deviation in terms of how they do that, but let's just say you give Bucky the ball two more times per game. He gets 14, 13, 14 carries, and you – take his six and a half yards per carry average, which by the way is really darn impressive. And that could be the, that's how you get to 1300 yards. And it, if you say, okay, he's actually now going to get 16 carries a game. That's how he gets to 1500 yards, right? Like the math to get there, assuming his, his, his uh, rushing efficiency remains kind of what it's been. Like he could be somebody who runs the ball for a ton of yardage. But again, for me, the whole thing is usage. It's, it's how often do they want to give him the ball? Do they, do they want to keep it a pretty even split? Are they open to not doing that? Are there games where they, you know, where, where Bucky does touch it 20, 25 times? I mean, that's not a thing we've really seen so far. So I, I think you should certainly expect an increase in yardage here, but how much of an increase is probably just determined based upon how much they actually amp up his rep count or if they do at all. Um, that's no guarantee they do that. They might just say, hey, we really liked what we had in our run game last year with, with Bucky and Noah basically splitting it even, and let's go out there and do it again this year, in which case it's possibly rushed for basically the same amount. All right. Last but not least, uh, 
we've got the yards per carry here. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting <laughs> one. I don't really know. I mean, I, I just said he's going to run for a little bit less. He had 6.8 yards per carry last year. I'd say 6.4 for Bucky this year. Really, I'm, this is just a hard one to pick. It is. It's. I mean, it's just like, and and basically, my own logic is new offensive line. Maybe they yeah. aren't quite as consistently good, and there are a couple times per game where he's behind the line of scrimmage, which is something, by the way, we didn't see hardly at all last year. I don't have the stat in front of me, but when I looked um, a couple of days ago and I put the story together, I think Bucky had like four carries all season that were behind the line of scrimmage. Like, it, it, that's pretty darn impressive. If if that's if that number becomes ten. Now you could see the yards per carry go down a little bit, obviously. So that's really all that went into it. It was, and as you said, it's kind of hard to predict. It's kind of a silly one. It's just based upon. Well, you got to try it. I mean, a couple you, small. You got to do it. Yeah, you got to try it. All right, receiving stats, uh, receptions. Troy Franklin led the team with sixty-one catches. Um, you've got him again leading the team. I'm assuming, yeah, you are having him lead the team because this is the whole prediction thing. Duh. Uh, Big increase though. I think this I think this is a big increase. It is. It is. I have him jumping to 75. Um 77 is the single season school record. I think it's very much in play that Troy Franklin could break that record, that he could break the single season receiving yardage record, which we'll get to in a second, and the same thing for receiving touchdowns. I think that's all within the realm of possibilities here. Um I think even more so than a year ago. And I know kind of, maybe I'm kind of contradicting and speaking out of both sides because I did just talk about how there are more you know more options to throw to. But I, I think Troy is also going to improve. And I thought he was so darn good last year. And if there are ways to get him to take another step, which it sounds like everybody was encouraged by what they saw this spring in terms of that kind of a trajectory, then yeah, it's not out of the real possibility he steps up and, and has 14 more receptions. Again, assuming that they play an extra game, which – you know, he had 61 catches last year in 13 games. They play 14 games. That number is probably, what, 66, 67 something. I'm not fantastic at mental math, but that's about, what, five more per game. So him getting a 75 doesn't feel crazy. I actually thought it might be a, a, a slight bit conservative because I could see him getting even more than that. But um, I kind of held serve there just because uh, I didn't want to make too many big proclamations in this preseason prediction thing. But I think it's possible he gets a 77. <laughs> I think he'd get a 77, Matt. I do. Receiving yards, uh, 891 for Troy Franklin. You've got him going over 1,100 yards. You talked about it, um, setting the school record. I think this one, Dylan Mitchell holds it um, with 1,184, and it really felt like back in, what, 2018, Oregon really force-fed him the ball. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't think Oregon needs to force feed Troy Franklin the football to put up 1,100 yards of offense. I, I think they've got a dynamic quarterback just like they did in 2018. I think Franklin's better than Troy, than Dylan Mitchell was. Mm -hmm. um, I think the offense is also just better constructed to put up big stats. And Especially through the air. Through Yes, 100% through the air. And with the – Opponents that they have to play in 2023 compared to what they played a really weak schedule in 2018. Um, I like this one. I, I I think I think the school records in play here. It might it might fall. I'm not going to say it is, but it, it's in play. 
Yeah, I didn't predict that it would either. I, I had him about 80 yards shy. I have my 1109. As Matt said, 1184 is, is Dylan Mitchell's school record. Only three players, by the way. This is kind of surprising. I've had more than 1,100 yards in a single season. Um, Josh Huff, Bob Newland being the other two along with Dylan Mitchell. So I, I think Troy Franklin is going to, and again, like Bucky, this is probably his last year at Oregon. I think just, I think not probably. I'm pretty confident it will be, especially if he has a year like he has. Oregon's list of all-time great receivers, it's not that impressive of a list. And it's list comprised of, you know, the Sammy Parkers. Dylan Mitchell had the one great year. You've got Jeff Mayle. You've got Demetrius Williams. You've got Keenan Howry. A lot of these guys haven't played here in, in decades. Like, I, I think there's a chance Troy Franklin has a really special year here. And the conversation is a legitimate one where you go, where, you know, is he one of the top two or three receivers the school's ever produced? Like, I think that's a real conversation we could have at the end of the season. Um, in part because I think he's going to have, obviously, a, a huge breakout year. I've got him with 75 uh, receptions and about 1,100 yards receiving. Like Those are stats that are pretty unparalleled, and only a couple of guys have, have done that at Oregon. So I think a big year for Troy is coming. All right. Now, the last one, um, receiving touchdowns. Franklin led the team with nine. Very common theme here. Um, you you do go away from Troy Franklin on this one. The number is different. Is not different. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you a rebuttal, but I'll let you give your pick for uh, why you picked someone other than Troy Franklin. Yeah, I picked Terrence Ferguson to have nine. Uh, my first sentence is there really isn't a lot of reasoning behind this other than uh, a level <laughs> of Franklin prediction fatigue. Like I just got tired of, <laughs> of predicting Troy Franklin would do everything. Like he probably will lead the team in receiving touchdowns, but it's more fun to think that Oregon has this tight end that scores a bunch down near the goal line. And by the way, we mentioned like if Phonix is not as confident or as used as frequently as a runner in close to goal line situation and goal line situations. Wouldn't that be a nice place to utilize the passing game? And a guy like Terrence Ferguson, who started the year with four touchdowns in Oregon's first two home games and then had one over the last 10, like it stands to reason a guy like that could have a breakout year. So, I mean, Troy Franklin is probably the pick. I'm sure most people think that way, but I, I thought Ferguson deserved some love. And again, I was just kind of tired of, of typing Troy Franklin's name for, for everything. Makes sense. Um, I'm going to go... With if, if if it's not Troy Franklin and if it's not Terrence Ferguson, mm-hmm. my wild card here is Ted's Johnson because of the of the speed and the ability to go over the top and catch those bombs for touchdowns or Ooh. or catch the screen ball and make one or two guys miss and he's so fast he just blows by everybody and, and scores a touchdown that way. I. I this isn't a category. Uh, explosive plays, Ted Johnson might be my pick to lead the team. Yeah, and, and by the way, Matt, I also did make um, a receiving yards per catch prediction, and I have Tez leading that one. 16.5 was my prediction for, for Tez in terms of yards per catch um, leading the team. By the way, it's kind of crazy. Dante Thornton averaged 21.5 yards per catch last year. Basically, every time he caught the ball, it went for six. And I like your your point there in terms of Tez as a sleeper for the receiving um, – or for the touchdown – prediction because I think you think about you know diminutive wide receivers slot receivers you don't think big touchdown numbers and of course most of them aren't like Jalen Red didn't find the end zone all that much like his last couple of I think he had a nice run I want to say his sophomore or junior year where he scored like four in five games or maybe five in six games or something like that like he had a run but for the most part that's not really where you're looking at but I also go like with what Matt said is I think a fair point of 
I think the way Tez Johnson could find the end zone is probably a little different than some of these other guys. Like, not to be too hyperbolic, and I don't think he's the same player, but DeAnthony Thomas scored nine touchdowns as a receiver one yep, season. That's exactly what I was thinking. Right? He scored in, in 2011, he scored nine touchdowns. They weren't all deep passes down the field. A lot of them were, you can probably remember some of those, the the uh, the one where he had the Washington State defender flip back and forth, back and forth. Days. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff I think you can expect to see from Tez in terms of run after the catch. So I have him as my yards per catch guy, and I kind of like him, to Matt's point, as a kind of a, a dark horse to lead the team in receiving touchdowns too. All right. there. I looked this up before – the show. This is an opportunity for us to just make up some crazy number because we have no idea what the number is. Okay. I tried finding it. I checked the game notes. I checked PFF real quick. Um, I did a Google search of it. We, we've got to give an opportunity for longtime listener Jackson Powers Johnson and his crew to get a mention here. Pancakes. Okay. Who? Mm. So we're not going to throw. We're not going to throw a number out because yeah, I have no idea. We've got we've got no idea of of pancake blocks. Uh, Nate Kruger, if if you're listening to the show, um, can we get these in the game notes? That would be great. Um, I, I'm going to we're going to just pick the guy that leads the team in pancake blocks. Okay, I like um, that. I am going to take. Mm, it's hard. It's really hard. Uh, a Johnny Cornelius. I feel like that's cheating because that's just the obvious pick in yeah. my eyes. But I'm going to go Cornelius. It's either him or Stephen Jones in my eyes. It's kind of tough because uh, I, mean, I, I actually wonder if Nate, if he is listening, do you guys even keep track of pancakes? Is that even a stat you guys officially track? I'm sure. No line does. We could, we, we, could, we could get Terry back on, another right. another friend of the show. We need to get a leak back on here to, to let us know. Uh, we should have we, we should have asked him that one. We could have asked him who's going to yes. do the team. Um, I like a Johnny. I like Stephen Jones. I, I part of me just feels like an interior guy is most likely to do this. So that's why I was trying to think interior. And it's hard because I think we expect Jackson Powers Johnson to be the center. Left guard's pretty wide open. We kind of think Stephen Jones is the right guard. I'll also I'll just go Stephen Jones. Um, he might not even start, so that might be just like the worst pick of all time. Um, but I he's the type of body and the type of player with how he plays that in theory would have a high number of pancake blocks. But to Matt's point, I don't know where those are tracked and I have no idea. He could have zero career pancake blocks for all I know. I'm not doing this based upon past performance necessarily. I'm just going based upon uh, sort of a off the cuff prediction based upon how they play. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to switch sides of the football and try and dive into these defensive predictions. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Making some statistical predictions for the 2023 football season. Um, defense here now. We're going to start with tackles. Last year's leader was Bennett Williams with 72 tackles. One, the number that led the team in tackles, surprisingly Oof. low. Super low. Uh, two, the player that led the team in tackles, I don't think – you, I, or Jared would have thought Bennett Williams was going to lead the team in tackles. Um, I, I predicted Noah Sewell last year would have 132. I was wrong. <laughs> I think I said flow, and I think I was like over 100 and was even more wrong. Um, Both very he was, wrong. He, he became unplayable at the end of the year. Um, 
So you you see an uptick in in numbers, not by much, and you see a different player. Yeah, and I think the player will surprise some. I, I predicted Jeffrey Vasa to lead the team in tackles with 80. Um, long-time listeners or even kind of short-time listeners have, have probably heard myself, Matt, Jared, talk with the level of, I think, we've critiqued his game probably more than a lot of players on defense. But that doesn't mean he's not a good football player. And I still think there's a possibility for a lot of development. Um, when you think about a player who came to Oregon as a defensive back, first season, he's playing linebacker. Just as he's getting comfortable there, they change schemes, they change coaches, they same coordinators, all of that, right? A lot of change. This is, in theory, Jeffrey Boss's first year with some sort of stability. Same coaches, same position, same coordinator, same defense. All of that stuff is the same this year. I think that can be a reason why he takes a step. And he was second last year um, on the team in tackles as well. I think he had 66 or 68. And the year before that, he was fourth. So... And based upon the position he plays, inside linebacker, going to be around the ball a lot. I think he's productive. And honestly, if I didn't pick him, I was going to pick a transfer sight on scene who I don't know exactly how they'll fit. And that might sound like a cop-out, but I just kind of don't know what Justin Jacobs is going to provide or how healthy he'll stay all season based on his injury history. I like Tyshim Johnson and Evan Williams as two other possible picks. Um, but I'm not sure. Like, I think it's notable that Tysheem Johnson plays the same position as Bennett Williams, who led the team in tackles last year. Obviously, Evan is related to Bennett Williams, so there's some carryover there. Um, I don't know. I, I I felt like Boston was probably the best bet, but I would not be at all surprised if it's somebody else who's here. But, I mean, ultimately for me, just to finish the Boston thought, I'm rooting for him to have a really great bounce-back season because I didn't yeah. think he played very well last year. I still think the player could be a good player, and – I would be really surprised and very disappointed if his season is similar to last year where you end the year going, is he one of the worst linebackers that we're starting? I don't think that's the way we're going to look at it to conclude the season. I just I, I think last year is going to be an anomaly for Bossa. I think there was a lot of things that weren't going right at the linebacker position for numerous reasons. And sometimes you just have bad years. And I think that's what the case was. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be Bossa. My If it's not going to be him, um, my first thought went to um, Justin Jacobs. But mm-hmm. like you, it's like sight unseen, hasn't played it down yet for Oregon. Also coming off an injury, by the way. Right. Um, which, which kind of scares me a little bit. And then the next spot after that, if it's, if it's not Bossa, if it's not Jacobs, the two guys I'm most confident with are actually two newcomers, two transfers. And I think one of them makes sense. One of them's a wild card. The first one is Evan Williams, mm-hmm. um, Bennett's brother. Yep. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but that also means Oregon's linebackers are not good, again, if your safety is leading your team in tackles. Mm-hmm. But the wild card here, what about Jordan Birch? Is there mm-hmm. an opportunity that he could clean up a lot of stuff behind the line of scrimmage or right at the line of scrimmage and – get some opportunities for some chase down tackles as well. You know, get, get, get a lot of credit for some assisted tackles that, that pad your stats a little bit. Is he an option? Do we feel like? It feels like a stretch just because defensive linemen or players playing that kind of a role. So sure. So rarely finish with high totals, but he did have 60 total tackles last year at South Carolina, which again would have ranked, I think third on Oregon's team this year. So like he's worth bringing up. Um, and 
unlike defensive backs where you go, man, if a defensive back is leading your team in tackles, that's not good because it typically means the ball's downfield and he's happening to make plays. If a defensive lineman is leading your team in tackles, that's probably a potentially a very good really thing. Good thing. A lot of stuff is getting finished at the line of scrimmage. Um, that means that you're assume, uh, you know, assuming he makes most of those plays around there. That means you're you know avoiding explosive plays. So, I mean, that would be impressive if that happened. I have Jordan Birch for the next category, which we're going to get to in a second. But I, I, I don't dislike that as a possibility. Um, I think it's probably a little bit too much to ask a player playing that close to the line of scrimmage to do it. But uh, we'll see. All right, Sacks, uh, you kind of gave it away here. DJ Johnson, though the team was six. Jordan Birch, you have leading the team with a slight increase. Yeah, it went up to eight. Um, you know, what was really interesting, Matt, looking through this was PFF does a good job of they have sacks, but then they also have quarterback hurries and quarterback hits. So Jordan Birch had four and a half sacks his entire career. He had three and a half last year. Eight sounds like a lot. He also had 38 of those combined pressures, whether it be quarterback hurries or quarterback hits. That means he was in the backfield a ton and just wasn't finishing plays. Um, Brandon Dorless, by the way, had 40 like that. Like, this was Oregon's issue a year ago. I actually looked it up or posted on the side earlier. Oregon finished last year with 175 non-sacks where they made contact or hurried the quarterback. 175. That's ridiculous. Utah had 41 total sacks, so 41 times they brought the quarterback down and had fewer times where they actually, quote-unquote, hurries, hits, but no sacks. So. Oregon's issue last year wasn't always getting back there. It was a lot of the time finishing plays. And so between Birch and Doralis, who both had really high um, numbers in terms of pressures and hits and hurries and all of that, like if those guys can just finish a couple more plays, I think Oregon's sack thing could be solved a little bit. I'm not going to say totally, but certainly if it is going to be solved, Jordan Birch is, I think, the most important guy there, which is part of the reason I picked him for this. Mace Funa would be my, I guess, second pick. For sacks, um, if, if it's not Jordan Birch, maybe Mateo, um, the freshman, uh, maybe Dorless, he gets in there as well. But like just it. like um, rushing touchdowns, I, I think this one's going to be pretty spread across. The, the, the spray charts, it's not going to be very wide. Uh, everyone will be right around the same you know, number, two or three more, one way or the other, in my opinion. And just a couple more names to bring up that could factor into there. How about Popo Amavai and Casey Rogers? Yeah. Two seniors who both – Popo was really good as a pass rusher a couple of years ago. Casey Rogers, I think, had some moments this last year. I don't think either are going to lead the team in sacks, but to Matt's point where there could be a bunch of guys with some, those are two guys that if they're – if that is the case, those are two guys I think will factor into that. All right. Uh, tackles for loss here. Um Dorless led the team, nine and a half tackles for loss. You've got him again leading the team. Um, and I, I don't really have any issues with this one. Maybe Birch, but I, I think this one makes the most sense. Yeah, I've got Birch, or sorry, Dorless at 12 and a half this year. He has 16 and a half tackles for loss the last two combined seasons. So he's been pretty active in this case for a couple of years now. Um, like, I think he's a really good player. And I think one thing that I've been thinking about a fair amount here is his best season came in 21 when Kayvon Thibodeau was attracting a lot of attention, right? Taking a lot of double teams, sometimes triple teams. Dorless was able to kind of get favorable matchups. I guess in a perfect world, Jordan Birch would be the Kayvon Thibodeau equivalent. I'm not saying they're 
comparable players, really, because one was a top 10 draft pick and one certainly hopes he could develop into one. But I think anybody and everybody kind of would try to set expectations much lower than that. But if Jordan Birch can do a little of that and maybe draw double teams, maybe he has a bunch of sacks early. That could be really good for for Brandon Dorlis to maybe have a bit of a bounce back season. I don't think he was bad by any means last year, but this is somebody who, like, I remember going into the year. Was it Tosh? One of the defensive coaches was like, "The alpha of the defense is Brandon Dorlis." Was that his? Was that yes? Tosh? It was, was Tosh. That, was it Tosh? Yeah. And yeah. that didn't really feel the way it played out last year. Like, I don't think he was bad, but it certainly didn't feel like you go into a season and, and the defensive coordinator is like, "This is the guy to watch," and then you come out of the season kind of going like, "I watched him, but." It wasn't as spectacular as I kind of expected. I think that's sort of how I took last year for Dorless. People are going to have high expectations again. I think if Birch is as good as advertised, that could be really good for for Dorless getting back to kind of where we saw him in 21. I don't think there was really anybody that was kind of the alpha of the defense. Maybe Bennett Williams, but... Gonzo, probably. Yeah, but I don't think it's in their demeanor. Like, I don't think it was in Sewell's or Gonzo's demeanor to be this, like, vocal, alpha, rah-rah, we're-going-to-kick-butt type player that we got the impression of. But that's a discussion for a later date. Well, and, and to that point, like, the guys that probably were supposed to, like, Justin Flo was probably someone who was supposed to be that. He was the spirit animal, according to some of Yes. That was – Tosh did not like happened. that. And that no. – but, like – he also just like wasn't very good last year. And so like if your alpha your alpha player also has to be good on the field. And so and I think to Matt's point, you have to have a right temperament, but also the playing style to back it up. And nobody had that last year. Maybe this year it's different. All right. Uh interceptions. Christian Gonzalez, speaking of Gonzo, led the team with four. Um, this number could be higher if they can get a, a quicker pass rush, mm-hmm. forces the ball out quicker. Yep. Uh forces the ball maybe into some spots they don't really want to throw because you got to avoid the sack. Um, pass rush also maybe tip some balls and create some havoc plays there. Uh, you see the number going up slightly, and Gonzo's gone, so it's going to have to be somebody else this season. Yeah, what you think of this? This was the hardest one for me. I actually went back and forth. I originally picked Evan Williams, and then I went to try Quez, which is where I landed. Um, and Quez just has the, the pedigree as a guy who picks off passes. Yeah from what he did in Alabama. He had three last year. I think it was kind of quiet, which is a pretty good total. And I think he has four in his career. Um, as far as the team, like nobody coming back who like was on Oregon's roster last year had very many interceptions or has had very many in their career. And even Evan Williams, Tyson Johnson, Kyrie Jackson, like if you look through their careers, I think they had like a combined four. Williams had three and, and, and Tyson had the other one. So, um, there aren't a lot of great candidates here, but Triquez, based upon the fact that I think he'll start again, and based upon, again, he in Alabama, he's a state record holder for most interceptions in a prep career. Just felt like a guy to pick, but I don't know. I, I had some hesitations with this one because it's, I think it's kind of hard to, to know how this is all going to come together. Yeah, I don't know who to pick on this one. Um, I, I think Bridges is the safe pick, and I'm mm-hmm. not trying to like – Say you just went in the easy route because this was hard. Yeah. Um, my first thought was maybe Taishim, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna throw a wild card out and a name. Maybe. Well, I just realized because I still haven't fully adjusted to the new position for him. I was gonna say Jamal Hill, but 
Is he he's starting linebacker now? And is he even starting? Yeah. I don't. I don't even know. Yeah. yeah. That that and that's I guess another point. Um, I think it's good. Yeah. I I think if you have to make a prediction right now, it's got to be Bridges. There's not there's not another guy out there that you can definitively feel confident about. Yeah, it's tough right now. I think Bridges is one, and like I said, Evan Williams maybe just because of the position on the field, like. Brian Addison's maybe kind of another name, but to the point we made with Jamal Hill, Jamal Hill's possibly not starting. I don't, at this point, expect Brian Addison to start. Maybe I'll be totally wrong. I kind of hope I am because I really like Brian Addison's skill set, and I think he could be a really nice fit next to Evan Williams if that's the other safety. Um, but, yeah, there's not like a real jump out one. I think in part, too, just because there's so much uncertainty with who's starting, who's playing where, who's playing there, like, for all we know, Jaleel Florence will start opposite of Tricos Bridges and have six interceptions and be awesome. Like, I have no idea. Or right. Kyrie Jackson has 37. I mean, that's not happening. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it could go a lot of different ways. Um, and that's that's a good point. This, this position group has a lot of uncertainty right now. And I feel like we all know who's going to play. We just don't know out of that group who's the starter, who's the backup. Or is it a 50-50 split? Is, is it – you know, minimal split. What that's that really complicates things. Um, pass breakups seven for Gonzo led the team. He's gone. That leads to a new player. Uh, you see a slight increase here as well. Um, I don't know. <laughs> this is another. This is another hard one. This is yeah. another hard one. Um, Where would you have gone here? You've got. Uh, my first thought was Addison because that's yeah. Ryan Addison. Yeah. That, that that's my first thought because he's. That's what he's out there for to cover the you know, cover the ball, be be the the basically the center, the deflecting shots left and right. If you want to throw in some basketball analogy into a football podcast, but my then my question then is: Is he going to play enough though to to get that many opportunities to do it? And I don't know. Um, you you yeah. picked Evan Williams with eight. Yeah. I just feel like it's either him or it's going to be a linebacker. This is Jamal Hill. This is Ooh. Jamal Hill's time to do it. I don't know. I I feel like with the zone coverages, maybe the linebackers can get some some tipped That's balls true. And, and and pass you know break some passes up. But again, I this is another hard one. Uh, there's yeah. not a real clear cut favorite here. And, and usually, I would say pass deflections and interceptions are going to be kind of hard because there's a level of randomness to it. Like you have to consider where is the ball going and who happens to be in the right vicinity to make a play on it. And like that's not always as easy as opposed to like, okay, if they're going to be running, uh, you know, outside zone, probably one of Oregon's linebackers or the defensive ends are going to be kind of in that area trying to make a play. Therefore, they should probably play and factor into it. Whereas on a pass play, it's harder to predict. So, um, I landed with Evan Williams as I wrote. Brian Addison is like kind of makes a lot of sense. I was similar thinking to Matt of like, I'll use another sports analogy. Basically, he's playing center field out there, and he's so long yeah. and rangy that like he's going to get his hands on a lot of passes. He had five by the way last year, which was tied with uh, Triquez for third behind Bennett and Christian Gonzalez. So like he's last year even he had a, enough opportunity to make a decent number. So Addison probably makes some sense, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I want Evan Williams. We'll see. I think this one's, this one's really hard. And, and Matt brings up, I actually like Matt's point of the linebackers. Like, what was it a couple of years ago with um, Isaac Slade, Matt Tawatia? I think he led the yeah. team in pass breakups in, like, in 2018, maybe 2019. And then I, I want to say Noah Sewell was tied or near the lead for, for it in 21 as well. So linebackers probably factor in here more than you expect because to Matt's point, um, batted balls at the line of scrimmage or, or they're playing kind of shallow and, and knock it off. Here's here's a here's a 
prop bet oh. over under. Who has more passes deflected? Casey Rogers at okay. defensive line or Jamal Hill as a backup linebacker? Um, huh. It's interesting because I'm also trying to think about like roles up front on the defensive line. Like, is Casey out there on all passing downs? Probably a fair. Rogers amount. had two. Jamal Hill had three last year. Playing a different position. Which linebacker, by the way, had the most? Like, did Bossa or Sewell have more than four? Uh, Sewell had four. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Hill just because I think it's more like it's, – it's, it's difficult for a defensive lineman to get their hand on the ball. Like, they have to be really well positioned. If the time they're jumped, they have to have the right length, uh, which, <laughs> which makes me think of uh, – Brandon Bear, the, I just think <laughs> all of, six nine of that man. Yeah, just I just growing up, Joji and Sante talking about how long he was and how many passes he knocked down at the line of scrimmage. Like it really does take someone who, or like obviously DeForest Buckner's been better since, and some other players. But yeah, I think it takes a real special set of uh, talent to do something like that. And I don't know if we've, we've seen Casey do quite enough of that yet for me to pick him. But if Jamal Hill's a backup, that's also not really to uh, yeah, that's a little tough too. Um. Real quick, just to give you that little nugget here, four yeah. different defensive linemen had two pass deflections in 2022. Uh, Casey Keon Hudson, Casey Rogers, DJ Johnson, and Brandon Doros all all had uh, two pass breakups. Which maybe maybe a lineman can get into that top five here. Maybe a lineman can get into that top five. It's possible. Don't think they'll lead the team, but I think it's possible. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back later this week with another podcast. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.